Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is your host, Lorraine Neidhart, and you have reached Venus Unplugged. And what we do here in the cosmic sphere of Venusian energy, both archetypally in our personal life, um, in our in beauty, and very often beauty in our world is crucified. Um, we're working with so many levels of Venus, not just the pink pawn of seduction, but the truly impassioned qualities of Venus and also her son Eros. What um, I've been looking at and exploring is the myth of Inanna. And um, Inanna was Sumerian goddess, and uh, they're they're still discovering and they're still interpreting uh, the the hymn to Inanna, but it starts where it's it's in the first days and it's in the first nights and it is in the first years when everything needed was brought into being and everything needed was properly nourished, when heaven moved away from earth, when earth separated from heaven and the name of man was fixed, when the sky god, and carried off the heavens. And when the air god, Idel, carried off the earth. And the queen of the great below, Arishkagal, was given the underworld for her domain. And that's how one of the hymns begins. Um, it's very erotic. It's very alive. Ainana uh, uh, is the goddess of, of opposites. She contains all, as all goddesses do, and as we do, but we like to leave that part out. We we like to just take the ones that we, uh, aspects that we like. You see, but one of the most beautiful parts, particularly in, in, in poetry, is poetry, and particularly this hymn to Ainana. Opposites generate energy. So when we're, when we're holding an opposite, Energy is to be had. Now, let's just say in our personal life, we wake up in the morning and uh, we're not such a good mood, right? Is some shadow stuff may be coming up, some part of ourselves that we don't particularly like, but we spend the, the, the nighttime dreaming about or being instructed about. Uh, we don't like it, so we push it away. Instead, if we could hold it, I should say, wow. That really nasty part of me showed up as a thief in my dream last night. And then we look at the opposite, where we go like, well, you know, I'm but a very honest and earnest person. Why would I be dreaming such a thing? So where would the thief or where would the, um, the shadow aspect that wants to be acknowledged that you need for the energy... Very often people are exhausted from just being good, from the one-sidedness. Oh, I just can be good and I can only be kind and I can only be... Well, the opposite is going to show up in another way. 
or in some twisted experience or in some stranger or in some uh, event that we, um, in our life, that we misunderstand. Something collapses or a cherished belief collapses or our job collapses and we think, that's it. That's the end of my life. There's no good in the world and I'm going to perish. Well, the other possibility is this is time for an awakening. This is time to expand your aura. This is time for you to, that, for that space to be created anew. That's the holding of the opposites. So Inanna, you see, uh, she plays a great role in the Samorian myth, and more than any other deity. Her life inspired the poets of Sumer, who transformed uh, the much older myth into uh, a cycle of impassioned. And it was, um, it's like a rhapsody when you kind of get in the groove of it, verse of the hymn of Inanna. And its ecstatic hymns and songs were sung in her temples throughout the Near East. Inanna's sacred narrative includes the world's first love story, 2,000 years older than the Bible, tender, erotic, shocking, and compassionate. And her journey to the underworld illuminates for us the relation between sex and death and the meaning of sacrifice. So this is just one minor um, aspect of her, right? So we left off, and Inanna had... Um, uh, been gifted uh, some powers by one of the gods, the god of wisdom, and she's going to take that back to her city to give it to her people to bring them culturally forward. And uh, but the most powerful of this of her gifts is to to make wise decisions. When we think about it, that is quite extraordinary. So. Instead of wishing for um, something physical, wouldn't it be lovely to wish for the consciousness of wise decisions, of being able to discern? We cannot discern if we can't hold the opposites. We're like cyclopses with an eye in the middle of our forehead. We only want one side. As long as there's only one side that we believe to be right, there's always going to be war. Because each side believes that they're, that they're right. Okay. And also the same with, with the, the male and the female. If we do not allow the masculine and the feminine equal, be equal, to create, and uh, it's the the opposites uh, that we use in active imagination is the essential dialogue of equals. And the male slash female must be an exchange of the equals. The nasty side equals the kind side. The male equals the female. Now that's pretty radical right there. If we just stop right there in our own world, in our own psyche. What are the attitudes about the masculine and feminine that are not equal? 
you know, I make an association with, um, you know, American humor. So often uh, in, in television, okay, uh, the male is a buffoon. He's an idiot. That's not equality. We think it's funny because it makes our, gives us our, our shadow an opportunity to experience uh, the, the masculine inferiority to the feminine or youth to age or, or rich to poor. But until there is equal um, dialogue and possibility, never going to work. So that's what we can do personally. We can start to explore where we do not have or do not allow an equality to happen. If enough of us do that, there, of course, in the what we do in the inner world shows up in the outer world. So it's not just about our political stance and and uh, what we believe in and what we need and what we fight for, but it's also internally the black and white within ourselves. If that has a quality, it has to come in the external world and not the literalization. So that's part of what this profound goddess Ainhana and her dark sister, Arishkagel, who lives in the underworld, who are bound to meet. Before we go into the uh, the sacred marriage, because that's part of what she represents, so we we leave off, and Inanna is very aware of her of her passion, of her silver, of of the power of where that all begins. All right. Now, Inanna, as the I'm probably pronouncing, I am absolutely crucifying the. Uh, pronunciation so but i'm going to go for it anyway the hero duel h-i-e-r-o-d-u-l um, now inanna and ishtar okay ishtar is the queen of heavens as is inanna and they're interchangeable those two some they can represent uh, although they're distinctly different goddesses they they kind of blend together and they were goddesses of sexual love and fertility. And one of the titles was Herodu of Heaven. Herodu is a Greek word that means sacred work or servant of the holy. And the word harlot, that I can say real good, okay, or prostitute, yay, I can say that too, I can pronounce that which is often used to describe the priestesses of Inanna and Ishtar, no longer conveys the original sacredness of their service to the goddess. Although the original meaning of the word prostitute was to stand on behalf of. So in the sacred prostitute, the priestess stood on behalf of the goddess. So this was an erotic, sacred act. That's what it meant. It wasn't 
what it is today. So let's bring back within ourselves our sacred harlot and uh, dialoguing with our, you know, our good manners. They're very different, but they're one and the same. So the priestesses who served in the temples of Inanna and Ishtar were the vehicles of her creative life in their sexual union with the men who came to perform the sacred ritual. So the attitude of the sacred marriages, the attitude uh, of uh, what sexuality meant, what it was about, was not separated. Heaven and earth were not separated within heaven and earth in that moment of the erotic sexual sacredness became one. And the men knew it too. So that, I mean, the beauty of that, I mean, just the scent of that, the beauty of that, the being able to know that experience You know, so maybe that's part of what we need to correct in the supposedly civilized society that we live in. You know, when they say they they want a a saint by day and a a hoe by night, Um, maybe the split is the longing, unconsciously, obviously, the man's unconscious longing for the sacred harlot in the woman that he loves. He wants her to be mother and lady by day. So we can experience that as a split, but what is the split? The split is that his anima got disconnected, uh, thanks to a lot of misunderstanding, from the Holy One, the the Ainana. And that the feminine, you know, in our mortal misunderstanding, can see that as an insult or as a split instead of saying, wow, well, if that's his split, then let me help him with that. Let me help understand that the act of sexuality is sacred. Not, you know, not prudish. Not filled with, you know, sweetness and light. But a sacred act. I mean, when we call on a divinity to enter our world, to enter our life, to enter for a moment, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, crazy shit goes down, right? Not human. So the image of Inanna and Ishtar is the role of the Herodu of heaven. goes back to the... uh, Neolithic idea that the characteristic modes of uh, being of the great mother was procreation. Both are called virgin, yet their virginity did not suggest a physical condition, but rather that the creativity of the goddess was a constant state brought about by herself in union with herself and that the fertility of all aspects of creation uh, was her effigy. And at this time, uh, the metaphysical ideas 
were embodied in the sexual intercourse performed ritualistically in the temple uh, itself, within the temple itself. And the fertility of human, animal, and plant life depended upon the enactment of the ritual of the sa- in the sacred place where men and women uh, participated magically in the generation of the life of the goddess. Now, there's a wonderful book. It's called the, which it's not Ainana, it's the Druids, okay? But it, it gives great description of uh, these sacred rites uh, called the Mists of Avalon. Uh, Bradley, I think her name was. Timur Bradley. And it's a wonderful story about King Arthur, but written from the goddesses, from the priestesses' point of view. And the sacred marriage, and it's really quite extraordinary. This is the way it used to be. And so it's difficult for our fragmented consciousness to comprehend this act of participation. You know, sexual intercourse and giving birth were two channels through which the divine energy of the goddess poured into life. Ishtar proclaimed, I turn the male into the female. I am she who adoreth the male for the female. I am she who adoreth the female for the male. Sexuality was the vehicle of bringing life into the world and was a sacred act. It was also sacred because the ecstasy that that, uh, accompanied it was the nearest experience to the state of bliss associated with the divine existence of the goddess and gods. Very different take on what we're up to. Forget the Fifty Shades of Grey. Let's go, let's go for the awakening of the consciousness of, of that ecstasy for that moment. And for this reason, sexual intercourse in early cultures was a ritual of participation, a magic act of fertility. It was the expression of the divine because in their total abandonment to the sexual, abandonment is always Venus, to the sexual instinct inspired by the goddess, men and women offered themselves as the vehicle of a generative power. And the priestess of Inanna and Istar through their union uh, with the men who came to their temple, bestowed on them an ecstatic experience that was, so to speak, the life of the goddess. A girl sacrificed her virginity to the goddess for its sexuality within the realm of the sacred, both for the woman and for the man, who sought intercourse with the goddess through her priestesses. Uh, For the sexuality... Was was neither neither for neither of them was their own, but was received from the goddess. Ow. Sexuality is not your own. It's something the goddess gives us, which is which is totally fascinating. You know, particularly, you know, in our modern world. Uh, it, it can be very, very difficult because, uh, you know, we believe that uh, or we view the world as, or the I as singular, right? Uh, and it's like 
I am the center of my universe, and if anything or anyone opposes that, they are wrong. Which is somewhat of an unevolved attitude that one's personal universe, that one owns a personal universe, and that everybody has to uh, cotton according to that, their universe. So this attitude of heaven and earth, of union, of life and death, is there's no separation. So in these states of being, okay, the devotee uh, gave to the service of God the virginity, which as uh, plenty of the clauses in the law prove, was no less precious to the Sumerian woman than to others. The castrated man, who also served the goddess as as her priests, offered their sexuality to her as a sacrifice to promote new life and a practice later to be transmitted to the priests of Kibbele uh, and those of the uh, of the Canaanite goddess. So this sacrifice is uh, reflected in the in the vows of celibacy of the Roman Catholic priesthood so you know we have fragments living fragments but they're not necessarily associated you know where did this come from where the immaculate exception come from immaculate exception came from uh this the, the the myth of isis and osiris she impregnates herself and the son is born so when we reach back in time and remember, just even by reading this this hymn, we're evoking something that is deeply ingrained or a reality or a truth that is deeply ingrained in the collective unconscious. Now when we stir that, then it comes up into the personal uh, unconscious and then to our consciousness. But if we have a belief that, uh, you know, sex is, is not sacred, I'm not going to let that up. It's not going to happen. But if we begin to see it side by side uh, and the the essential equalness of above and below or feminine and masculine or god or goddess. Something is going to shift. So one of the functions of the high priestess uh, is known as the Inu, E-N-I-U, was to take the role of the goddess in the ritual union of the sacred marriage. In this, the king took the role of her bridegroom, personifying the sun lover of the goddess. Uh, And it is possible that the temple unions were the source of the belief that the children born of them were half divine and half human parentage, as was Gilgamesh. Gilgamesh um, is another myth. Gilgamesh is also the brother of Ainana. 
and he and he claims, you know, Gilgamesh, I was the son of a high priestess, an unknown father, whom he calls Gardner. Gardner was was given to the kings who played the role of the son lover in the sacred marriages. So this story suggests the Sumerian kings were literally the sons, consorts, and fathers of the high priestesses who personified the goddess and presided over the temple. And that would shift your political view, wouldn't it? (laughs) Oh, man, I love this stuff. Oh, so then the role of the high priestess is illustrated uh, by a remarkable series of poems written in the middle of the third millennium, BC by a woman who was a priestess, a princess, and a poet. And her name was Induana, the daughter of the first Sargon of Ekar. Her hymn to Inanna, called the Exaltation of Inanna, is the earliest record of the poetry of a woman who is also a high priestess and is interesting that she addresses her great cycle of poems to Inanna, rather to the gods, and or Nana. Uh, this priestess's influence is revealed by the fact that long after she had died, copies of her hymns were made and sung in the temples of Inanna and Ishtar. Her literary style is so distinctive that other poems uh, by her hand may eventually come to light. So uh, all all her poems have not been discovered. They've not been revealed. They haven't been dug up. They're hidden somewhere, and I'm sure they will at the appropriate moment. So her poem as a whole shows a new emphasis on the degenerative function of the goddess in human war rather than drawing the goddess in her original role as life-giver and also reveals how the gods, Ain and Inal, had strengthened their whole of the Sumerian pantheon at the expense of the goddess. So we're starting to see, before God was a man, God was a woman, well, we understood it, and Inanna was the first god, goddess. And then, you know, because we're talking thousands of years and thousands of years, Inanna, the culture starts taking it over. It's becoming slightly, and and the beginning of the patriarch was when Gilgamesh castrated the great mother. You say that the great mother was both male and female, and she had a phallus, and that was uh, castrated, right? And uh, her her parting gift to humanity was like, okay, boys. You want to split me in half? That's where we get the whole concept of soulmates. And she said, well, my little parting gift to you is you will look for your other half to complete you as you split me. One good turn deserves another. So when we look at it like that, when we begin to realize that's what integration is and that's what individuation is is in the Jungian work when we begin to integrate the opposites the male and the female uh, 
above and below, when, when all of these can coexist separate and as one, which is a lifetime task, uh, not many people have the, the courage, nor the time, nor the permission, but we can try. And Inanna, as queen of heaven, so the Samorians and the Babylonians were fascinated by the stars in that way. So that was their way to respond to the ideas of exploring in the, in the, the universe. So Inanna um, and Ishtar, Ishtar uh, mean the word disaster uh, comes from Ishtar not following the heavens, not following our stars, not following Ishtar, disaster. So all of this is so rich and prevalent now in your being and in your psyche. And so everyone's collective unconscious knows this, him knows this way of life, and uh, hopefully by uh, we're evoking some... Uh, energy and some memory so that you can work with this and have this and not feel so split and separate. And then when we can't handle our own splitness, we blame it on the other. We're not in touch with the wisdom of our own masculine and therefore the man is an idiot or the man can't... uh, comprehend uh, feelings and calls his wife or beloved crazy. That's crazy. There's no logic in that. Well, of course it's crazy if you want logic, but it's feelings. I don't have to be logical. I'm a feeling, which is a threat to the thinking process. And so often that's why... Opposites uh, attract, because something is going to grow when the opposites attract. Now, of course, thank God we're expanding this this uh, limitation of, of uh, gender uh, now in our marriages and now in our culture, and, and now, which is what this is all about, is to expand the awakening that it doesn't have to be literally male and female. It could be female and female and male and male, and that works too, but the same dynamics in the unconscious are at work. That's what's so exciting about all this. So till next week, um, and we'll go further, and I think we'll, we'll, we'll all right, so we'll, we'll have her as the... Uh, Maybe her little courting dance would be fun to be looking at. Okay, till next week. Bye-bye.